Welcome to the Empire Builders Podcast, teaching business owners the not-so-secret techniques that took famous businesses from mom-and-pop to major brands. Stephen Semple is a marketing consultant, story collector, and storyteller. I'm Stephen's sidekick and business partner, Dave Young. Before we get into today's episode, a word from our sponsor, which is, well, it's us. But we're highlighting ads we've written and produced for our clients. So here's one of those. Hi, my name's Jesse. I'm looking for Mr. Ruben Jr. I'm the manager here at Colair HVAC. Nice to meet you, Jesse. Sorry I'm late, Mr. Ruben, but... But you're not late. Your job interview wasn't for another 10 minutes. Oh, right. Guess I have my own idea of what late is. Your own idea? My dad used to say, early is on time, on time is late, late is... Well, <laughs> I can't say what late would be. I get it, Jesse. So let's get started. Why do you want to be an AC tech here at Colair? Me? An AC tech? Oh, oh, I'm not sure I'm qualified for that. We'll talk about qualifications later. Right. Sorry, sir. Just call me Reuben. Got it, Reuben. Sir. Just can't help yourself, can you? Not sure what you mean, sir. Forget it, Jesse. I think you and I will get along just fine. Call Colair because we care. Visit callcolair.com. License number 6249C. Hey, everyone. Stephen Semple with the Empire Builders Podcast. And boy, we've been giving Dave Young a lot of time off lately. So we've kicked him off yet another podcast. And today I have with me a, someone I've been really looking forward to interviewing. And it's Tom Casey from Griffin Home Services in Florida. Tom has got an exciting story because Tom is the entrepreneur that a lot of us are striving to be. Started a business bootstrapped it, built it up, went through fast growth, sold it for a big old whack of cash, and is right now is not yet living the dream. He updated me that he's still working on the, the workout, but he is living a life with a big bank account, so that's always fun. So what I wanted you to share with us today, Tom, is a little bit of that story because I think it's great. We've shared in this podcast these stories of all these businesses that are big today, and we do go back to the beginning, but it's also very different for people to hear the story from a real live person who's uh, who's gone through it. And I also find it kind of funny how you ended up starting an air conditioning business, <laughs> the reluctantly starting an air conditioning business in Florida. So maybe you could start off with just telling us a little bit about yourself and how, how all of that came about. Sure. I appreciate you guys having us on. I listened to the podcast. So now I get to star in one of them. It's very exciting for me. I can't wait to <laughs> brag to my kids. There you go. I'm a third generation SOB, which you know, but the listeners maybe don't, meaning I'm a son of a boss, grew up in the business, uh, running tools with my dad, you know, that typical home service kind of story for the sons. Uh, my grandparents started delivering coal and ice actually back in the day before there was wow. such thing as heating and cooling. Worked with my dad for many, many years, partners with him, uh, loved every minute of it, had a great experience. Back a while ago, uh, you know, like most contractors, we, we go to the doctor like when a limb has been removed. We don't go for like regular things. And so as you get older, if you have a, a good partner, my wife makes the appointment. It's time for your annual checkup, which I go begrudgingly. And this one year, about maybe 10, 10 11 years ago, I went and uh, thought I'd be in and out. And it, it didn't quite go that way. They did the EKG. They came back and forth about six EKGs later. My doctor walked in, had been my doctor for 10 plus years and said, hey, I don't know what's going on, but um, I'm going to send you over to the cardiologist. There's something happening that we can't do here in this office. So got in my car, called my wife. How'd you make out? Hey, thanks for doing this. Now I'm going to the cardiologist's office. Um, went there, did a bunch of tests, 
two, three days later, I'm doing a stress test, failed that. And in less than a week, I'm going under the knife for who knows what. It's like one of those get your affairs and orders thing. And so uh, my kids were all still younger and still home. And it was a very emotional thing. I wrote them all letters just in case, which is a surreal experience, right? And so go to the hospital that Monday morning, first surgery, because it's going to potentially be anything, right? They don't even know. They wheel me away from my wife who's crying. It's going to be the last time. You know, that, that's that moment of like, you're looking into the chasm. And so that weekend with a lot of emotions and tears and stuff, talking to my, my bride, we were basically like, if we get past this, it's it's time to change. It's time to just do something completely different, like bucket list time beyond belief, because we thought we were working towards something. And now the universe has different plans. Fast forward to Monday, I get to recovery. I wake up, I start feeling my chest, thinking, they would have cracked me open. I'd have a bunch of things going on. There's nothing. Push the button, get the doctor in there. What'd you find? He goes, all I can tell you is you went in there and everything's perfect. The heart's perfect. We didn't do anything. We went in, got out, you're done. You're good. Go home, live your life. And so then we set on a mission of kind of getting away from snow and cold and all the things and going to live where the the palm trees are. And so we made plans to move south. We started exploring properties. We ended up in St. John's, Florida. We ended up buying property, building our dream home, or so we thought. And that's kind of how we got to Florida. Meanwhile, we still own the business in Connecticut. We're still running the business in Connecticut, but now we're living in Florida. And and I had started a consulting business at the behest of uh, one of the largest home service companies in uh, the country, Service Experts. At the time, the CEO was a guy named Scott Boxer, who had heard I was moving and tried to recruit me to work for them. But I said, listen, Scott, you got a wife. I'm building her dream house in Florida. There's no way we're moving to Texas. Like we're we're moving into this house, period. There's no... We're getting away from that. This here is what you call a non-negotiable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a deal breaker. So be happily married in my dream house with my wife or be divorced living in Texas working for you. Yeah, that's not a really hard choice. So I was going around doing trainings for different locations around the country per, per Scott and his team. And it got to be so much like it was successful and it was lucrative. But I, all of a sudden I'm finding out I'm spending two, three weeks on the road uh, yeah. out of a month. And I'm like, oh, this is not for me. So I remember very clearly eating at the bar at Gas Monkey Grill down in the Dallas area, just like by myself thinking, what am I doing? And so flew home. Coincidentally to this, we built our new house and the first shower we took, the drains didn't work. We had water pouring through our ceiling from our AC within the first 30 days. We had mold remediation in the first 90 days because the AC leaked inside the wall, like the shoemaker, no shoes kind of thing. So we had a plumbing problem while I was out of town on that gig and my wife was going to be home to let the plumber in. I could fix all these things, but I kind of this thick Irish skull that said, I paid for it. I'm not touching it. They're going to give me what I asked for. They're going to provide me what I paid for. So I get home, greet everybody, hugs and kisses. How's everybody doing? My first question is what? How to make out the plumber? My wife is basically like, listen, I wouldn't let him in the house. I looked out. He's sketchy looking. I'm home by myself. I didn't feel comfortable. You're going to have to fix it. And like the other decision, when Mama says to do something. If mommy ain't happy, nobody's happy. So I now was on a mission to fix all my own HVAC and plumbing in a brand new house. And so she had made the comment during this, which was, if we did this in our business, we'd be out of business. You should start a company. And even though I had sort of semi-retired and was like consulting and, you know, fancied myself to be kind of partially retired, you just don't get rid of that bug. You know, the entrepreneurial right. bug is like, I got to build, I got to do. And I was looking at these companies who are working in my own house, like these people are, there's just... They're good people, I'm sure. I'm not, you know, commenting on socially, humanly, but craftsmanship-wise, where I came from and how my career had, 
had its trajectory, I'm like, something is really, I'm like living the twilight zone of home services here. So um, we launched the business. You know, that was kind of the, the fuel I needed. I wanted to dive into it. So I finished my consulting gigs for the clients I had and uh, kind of went to boutique consulting where I just consult like kind of like fun things now or whatever, but right. put all my energy into building building the business. So keep in mind, I have now Connecticut, Climate Partners in Connecticut. I launched Griffin Service in Florida and then Right on the heels of it, four months later, I launched Summit Services in Hilton Head. So I have Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, Southeast. Sounds like retirement to me, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was fun for a while. But you know what the difference was? Because I was like building on my own businesses, I was still spending those couple weeks on the road, but it was like I could control the outcome. In consulting, you guys probably realize when you give good advice, us, your clients don't always listen to it. <laughs> so you're like, true. I'm being paid, I'm doing, and, and uh, you know, there's just like a lack of satisfaction or sometimes. So we, we had Climate, which has been an ongoing entity. We launched Griffin from scratch, literally zero employees, zero customers, zero anything. It was a good chance to kind of test all those years of experience. So we set about saying, hey, our family business was our family business. So there's a lot of like, bumper guards in the lanes that we couldn't do because we have these customers for so long and the community and we were innovative, but it was almost like innovative with a, a governor on it. Right. And so, right. This was much more clear starting with like a very clean slate, right? hundred no percent. Yeah. Like the only history you had was your wisdom, your knowledge, your experience, but it wasn't the history of here's a business that's gotten known for this, or here's the type of customers, or even, you know, Look, family businesses have guards from the standpoint of certain family members also bring with them their beliefs, their dreams, their desires. So, you know, you were able to start with that really clean slate, but with all of that wisdom behind you. It was fun. As you sit down in Dreamscape, you know, a 40-something-year-old person going to start a new business in a place where I don't know a single solitary soul, don't have a customer, don't have an employee, don't have anything. We kind of said, screw it. Let's go for broke. Like, what do we want? As long as we're going to do it, we might as well think big. And so... We literally sat down and sort of we, my wife and I, like, what what did we love about our, our other business? What didn't we love so much? And just made what our non-negotiables were of how we were going to approach it. As long as we're going to do it, we're going to be the best in the market. As long as we're going to do it, we're not going to, we're going to be a premium service company. As long as we're going to do it, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this type of work. We're not going to do this kind of people. So one of our personal core values is the uh, the no asshole rule. You know, we just we just don't have any room for drama or toxicity in our life. And, and so our business has... You know, that, that was kind of the rule. Like, we don't want any drama llamas. We don't want none of that stuff. So we set about kind of developing our core values simultaneously. Like, we didn't have a name or a brand or anything. We literally have a concept, like this nugget, this seed of an idea. So we, we listed out probably, you know, two or three pages of three columns of names. And we knew we had to tell a story. We knew the story had, because we're going to enter, a, Jacksonville's a huge market, especially for AC, right? It's It's yeah. not like you're going to like this little sleepy town. You're going to the largest landmass city in the United States with millions of people and AC companies. You can't swing a cat without hitting 10 AC companies. So we have to have a story. We have to be able to, to differentiate out of the gate. So while we're doing our core values, what's important to us, we're also, I'm, I'm going around uh, with my camera, parking at gas stations, parking at supply houses, parking at on and off ramps, taking pictures of all the trucks. And I print them all out and I put them on these poster boards to see what are the colors that are in the marketplace? What are the names that are in the marketplace? I, I went to a data company and I was like, okay, 
tell me about these neighborhoods. Tell me the residents, what they look like, like what, what is their income, their education level, their interest, and found out, you know, it's a big golfing area, wine, boating. So then I went and bought all these magazines from the local bookstores of wine magazines and boat magazines and golf magazines. I went and visited all the country clubs to like pretending I was going to sign for membership to see how they were selling to those people already, right? And that kind of formulated and got us to, we have colors, we have some ideas of stories, and we got down, then Griffin was, you know, Griffin's a mythological creature, body of a lion, head of an eagle, and then we could really spin a story around that, but it also matched our core values, which were right. legendary service, right. uncompromising integrity, amazing workplace. So it wasn't just, hey, let's do a Griffin. The no. Griffin actually anchored. See, I often talk about this. Good branding, good visual branding, good any type of branding. Actually, what it should do is anchor the emotions that you're trying to create. So, so when you're saying things like legendary service and all this other stuff, a Griffin, as you said, it, it ties to that, right? So it actually anchors all of those things you are wanting to create anyway. So that's awesome that you went through that exercise. It's a time where you got to kind of look yourself in the mirror and say, I've been doing this a long time, but I did it where I was familiar. I did it where I was from. I did it where now I got dropped out of an airplane, you know, into a foreign country. Can I do it? Can I make it happen? And so it's a little bit intimidating, but in that entrepreneurial spirit, it's also super like you love the hunt. You love the challenge. You love to make it work. Like we never one time like said, I hope it works. We were like, we're going to make it work no matter what, like this thing's going to go. And so um, we ended up... uh, renting a building with no customers (laughs) and, you know, buying trucks and wrapping trucks. And so we actually went into um, the digital space and held a design contest for our logos. Now we had our story and we had our colors we wanted. So we put out a a prize for here's our, here's what we want to do. Give us logos. And we held it. Then we got like all these replies. Then we held a contest for like, here's our top 10 that we like. We put it out to friends and family and people I knew uh, around locally and it settled on our logo and then logo was good. So we could start doing things like business cards, get our website starting right. to roll. Then we did the same thing with our design for our truck wraps. We had another contest to design our truck wraps. So it was like this really interesting crowdsourcing of, you know, going beyond what my abilities were, but I knew there were smart people out there in the world. And so we have a building, we have trucks, we have all this stuff. We got, you know, we had two employees by this point and we have a phone and, you know, we literally painted the inside of our building to match all of our colors the first week because there was no phone calls. Like we were like, right. okay. And, but if you call that first week or two, boy, you are going to get the best service you've ever gotten your whole wide life, you know? <laughs> I just want to step back and ask you something. So there's there's two things you did that I really want to make sure that that is caught. And one is you went and you took a look at all the competitors and you put the collage on the wall. Now, when you were looking for color, what were you looking for? I wanted to be a, a the purple unicorn of the colors. I wanted to be the color... That in the sea of, you know, black and white, I was this bright yellow neon color. The appearance of any marketing, the appearance of any trucks, anything we did, it would just be so blatant and give the illusion that we see you everywhere because you can't help us see us. Yes. So if everyone was orange, you were not going to be orange. Correct. Is basically right. Because too often what I see is people will look out there and go, hey, here's what the leaders do and copy it rather than right. here's what everybody's doing. What I need to do is go in the opposite direction. There's a there's a guy up here in, in Canada, Dominic Panucci, and he's the president and founder of a company called Pizza Nova. And he tells a great story of one day, like he was being encouraged to do a redesign and rebrand. He didn't want to do it. And one day he walks into his office and they had the guy who was encouraging him to do a change had spread all the pizza flyers out on the boardroom table. And he said, pick out yours. And Dominic looked at it and said, 
I can't find mine. They all look the same. And he immediately went, crap, we got to change this. But I really commend you for doing the whole, taking a look at the whole and having that inform you in terms of what you want to do from the standpoint of you want it to be different. So that's cool. And I don't think enough people do that. Our colors in Connecticut were like these really unique mix of green, blue, and white. And it it is just no one has those colors in that, the way that appears. So all my fleet up there was just like, we see your trucks everywhere. That's the, you know, that was the magic right. I wanted. But when I went to my market, I was like, oh, it's no longer unique. Even though I, I'm right. in love with my own colors, I have a bunch of ideas, I've made it work before. It will not get what I want, which is that kind of immediate legitimacy. We don't want to look like a new company. But there's another thing you did I thought that was brilliant. In terms of figuring out how sales are done in the local market, you didn't just go and seek out, hey, here's what the other heating and air conditioning companies are doing. You went to places like the golf course. So you went to other industries and saw how are they positioning themselves for this market and decide to learn from them. And this is one of the things I'm always saying to folks is there's more lessons to be learned in other industries. And I think that's brilliant in terms of what you, what you did. What did you like, what did you learn from the golf courses? We did learn like, you know, a little bit about where their members lived so we can go then pull house data and educational data. One of the things we learned for our logo is that all the golf courses had like a crest they all had that like that that logo they could embroider onto a shirt or imprint on a golf ball or so we were like our logo has to have a crest so our logo right. has a really distinctive crest that we wouldn't right. have done without kind of digging into that so the yacht club the golf club all these places and then the same similar lines when we saw there's a really high level of college education and there's a real high loyalty to their alma maters and so yeah. what's that type of thing we tap into Again, logos, crests, taglines, you know, they all have their thing where they're hanging out their, you know, their flags on Saturday for their, you know, their college team or whatever. And so it was a college thing, even though we have professional sports and things like that, there's the, that's not the loyalty. These people have a, a, a deep loyalty to like a cellular level to their alma mater. So we're like, right. they're not going to have that to us because we're, we're an AC guy, we're a plumber, whatever. But how do we tap into their subconscious of we are thinking and talking and looking the same way they can relate they may not even know i'm having a similar feeling that i do about you know being a, a florida grad for this ac company like they feel the same like they look and so that was that was what we got out of that it's like okay we have to really change what we knew from new england to what we're doing here in the southeast is a very different vibe we sort of built a lot of stuff around that our brochures our business cards and everything was distinctive. Like our first business cards, we printed on like thick plastic, like credit card stock. So that when we handed it to you, it was very like rich, you know, and right. people would go, wow, that's a great card. I'm like, yeah, you can't throw it away. Well, what I like here is, again, what you did is this market that I want to talk to has this weird, positive affiliation and connection with these things that do these visual images. If I use some of that, look, some of that positive feeling on a subconscious basis is going to bleed over and, and you're going to benefit. Look, I really commend you. You are looking outside of your box and, and learning from that. So that's that's cool. So so we've now started the business. You got the trucks wrapped. You got the name. You got the logo. You're slow enough that you've painted the inside of the building. But like, what did you do to get things rolling and how quickly did they get rolling? What was the first year like? Well, first year we did 1.2 million, so it wasn't too bad. Stay tuned. We're going to wrap up this story and tell you how to apply this lesson to your business right after this. 
Nice one. Thanks. We should do this more often, man. I wish we could. And why can't we? It's my business. What about it? Thought everything was good. It was. Do I hear a but in there? Sales have started to flatten, and we're down over last year. Oh. Can't figure it out. Tried a bunch of stuff. Putting in more time doesn't seem to make a difference. Yikes. It's frustrating. Have you spoken to Steven? Who? The host. From the podcast we just interrupted? No. Why not? I thought you were trying stuff. I am, but what's Steven gonna do? He'll work with you for free. You mean that starter session thing? Yep. I don't know. What do you have to lose? Not much, I guess. So, you gonna book one? Yeah, why not? Where do I do it again? I think you can do it right from this podcast. Cool, thanks. You bet. We really should do this more often. Golf more or interrupt this podcast? Over to you, Dave. Book your starter session on this podcast website. Just visit theempirebuilderspodcast.com and click on Get Started. Let's pick up our story where we left off, and trust me, you haven't missed a thing. You know what? Not many businesses break the million-dollar mark in their first year. Well done. The way we did the first year was really we, we focused strictly on direct mail because we could control it, we can really target it, and with some of the things we were talking about, logos and colors and positioning, it, it was something that at least they had to touch the mail. Uh, and mm-hmm. we didn't have a budget for radio. We didn't have a budget for, you know, huge pay-per-click campaigns. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't have the money. We we're bootstrapping this right. thing along, trying to say, we're going to stay within our means. I always say, I'd rather go a mile deep than a mile wide. So we were kept yep. like hitting these neighborhoods monthly, every month, every month with a consistent message. So you were doing repetition in your, this is a mistake a lot of people make in direct mail. They'll send out a hundred thousand pieces to a hundred thousand different people. And what you were doing is you sent 10 pieces to 10,000 people. We broke it down, Steve, until like this neighborhood has 475 people in it. Okay. They're going to get 10, 11 pieces of mail per year. So here's our strategy. I call it stacking. I don't know what there's an official marketing term because I'm just an AC guy, but so we have what we've identified our list. We did it kind of geo-targeting. It sounds crazy, but I'm like, wherever there's a golf country club, wherever there's a Starbucks, wherever, like these are the things we learned about our customer. Where do they already go? They must live within a certain area around it. Let's go drive and see. Let's ask our data company, like, who, where are these people? And then as we got a customer, we'd ask the same thing. Like, hey, is this the right neighborhood? But if we go to this, say, 500 people in this neighborhood and we just hit them, now we get a job. Not a service call, but yeah, you know, we got to replace the AC. Now we start to send mail to say to not 500, but 100 neighbors, we just replaced your neighbor's AC and give them an assessment. Now somebody would call and now they're going to get another piece of mail that month. Next month, the 500 are going to, but now the 100 people got the regular mail and then we just did your neighbor. Then we get another person and then we send them a, we just did your neighbor. And all of a sudden the repetition of that market is, we never even heard of these guys they look very legitimate. They don't look like a new ham and egg or company. But honey, maybe we should t- have them look at our AC because everyone, all our neighbors are replacing their AC. So then we got like saturation in a small pond, trucks in the neighborhood. We had job signs yeah. out right off the bat, like print job signs immediately. Right. And we asked our customers, you know, once we told them, we kind of told our story. We told them we were new. We didn't want to deceive them. Like, hey, listen, we're just getting going. You know, we've been doing this for, I'm a third generation SOB, but we're new in Florida and told them that they liked our story, you know, that I moved down because, you know, it was my chance to like restart my life. I wanted to be where the palm tree, you guys are ahead of me. You live here with the palm trees already. That's what I wanted to do. So they were like helpful with, yeah, leave your sign up. Absolutely. And they actually started, which we didn't plan on. They were like, you know what? Give me some of your cards. And they were like telling the story because we were just genuine about it. But my takeaway was we saturated. So as we got more money, we just kept like, okay, keep mailing those 500. 
but mail 500 more, mail 500 more, mail 500 more. So the mail list digits it to 5,000, 10,000, whatever, but they're getting mail every single month. When you expanded your list, and so you're sending something to someone for the first time, were you sending the pieces that you knew worked before to this new group? Yeah, we're always evolving. You know, so if right. we did it, we, we mailed out a stinker. We're like, okay, let's go to school on that one. Like, right. and this is just bootstrapping. We didn't have a marketing yep. agency. We didn't have like, we ended up later in our, uh, you know, a few years later, connecting with the the likes of the Wizards and Gary and uh, Jeff and Joe, who like just man, they they just blew our minds with stuff. But we were doing a lot of right things just from experiential kind of gut level. And I really commend you for the repetition part. That's the part a lot of people miss is they want to do more and more and more single touches and the multiple touches is really the key. That's what you've discovered, right? Yeah. And, and we looked at our numbers and because we, and we had the hindsight of having been in business, but we didn't have the customer list or the budget of that business. So one of the pushbacks that we had to get through was say there's like this, this coupon mailer. They have all these like home magazine type things and the cost per house is like a penny or a fraction of a penny. It's like, I can mail 120,000 people for $5,000. But first you're in a book full of like every other ham and agar and lowball and it's a bargain book and it's all about coupons, it's all about discount. That was not our story and our message. That was not what we're trying to do. We're trying to do the anti of that. And right. then so when you look at mail, we're doing mail and mail is costing us 55 cents, 65 cents, whatever it is. It's like 20x <laughs> we could be doing this mass mailer for. But I'm trying, like in my mind, I'm like, I don't, I don't care if it's 20x. I care what we get out of it. I'm not trying to be cheap on my marketing. So my philosophy in business has always been, we've always been a higher end provider. If we're asking and telling a story to our customers about investing and making smarter decisions and, you know, doing it right the first time, why would we not do that in our own business? Like, why would we short circuit or get cheap in marketing when that's not what works? We can't be a high quality provider and then a low quality marketer. And so right. it took a, a lot and it, it moved pretty quickly. I mean, we were busy. First job we sold was like a $37,000 job. We ended up winning a national award for the project we did. Uh, and it was wow. a renovation of an existing system. It wasn't new construction. And so it was nice to land that and have that little bit of work to do to begin with. And then he referred neighbors. And and so the mail part worked. And then our website was always just kind of like an online brochure at that time. It really wasn't generating activity. It was just a place to legitimize you guys have been here. We focus really aggressively on reviews. So there's people in this market who have 10,000 reviews. We have 10. But we got to do is we got to have better reviews. They're fat and lazy now. We're young and hungry. Let's have our pace of reviews beat even the 10,000 guy. We're going to get reviews every single day. And so we worked hard on that. Like as a small team, we're like, we would set the tone up front. Like, you know, our goal is to deliver five-star service. So anything I can do for you, please let me know. At the end, it wasn't a hard push. It was literally like, hey, I want to do a good job for you, Stephen. Let me know if there's anything we can do. And it was always to our our text, you know, there was one, there was two, then there was six. Do the job, but then do a little bit more. Just do a little bit more before you go back and say, so, Stephen, how'd I do? Five stars? And you would be like, oh, my God, best service experience I ever had. Now we can have a good conversation about, you know, what really helped me out. You could take a second and we had the app on like we had our on our cell phone where we like already pulled the link for him. <laughs> if you could just take a minute and say something like, Tom's the greatest thing says sliced bread. So we literally were actually like in a very light way, kind of telling them, if you could just say really good things and mention my name. And so that like personalization of the reviews and that really aggressive like approach moved us very quickly. So that when we did decide to do a little more with our website, we already had that like base of really right. good, fast reviews. That you could build off of. But there's two key elements on this is one is 
is you didn't take it for granted. You actually created a strategy and recognized you had to kind of hold people's hands a little bit to get those reviews. That's number one. So brilliant. But the other part is going back to the beginning where you said about the discounting and couponing and all that other stuff. You can't give that extra service when you're discounting. It's just like part of the reason why if somebody said, well, gee, you know, if you could do this for me, you're able to go, we'll get that done is because you had good margin business that you could actually afford to have the guy spend the extra 20 minutes and do whatever that they asked them to do. Right. 100%. So our yeah. market was like for AC tune-ups and the, I know the listenership is like all sorts of businesses, but our market was like $9.99, $19.99, $29.99, dollars like really cheap tune-ups. And I knew as a professional, when we sat down with our guys, I said, do we want to be that? That's not fitting with our brand. It's not fitting with our core values. So our first tune-up was $159. So we're competing It's $19. Again, the savvy person we want is going to go, there must be something different between $19 and $159. We should give him a call. And then we would go, yeah, you know, if you want somebody just come with a flashlight and make sure your unit's still there, that's not us. If you want somebody to actually do the things, the real professional service, the real cleaning, not, I don't want to send a salesman in disguise to you. I want to send a professional trained certified technician and guarantee the heck out of it. And that was another thing we did. We guaranteed like everything. Which again, you can do when it's not 20, like at 20 bucks, you can't do any of that. No. You get the taillight guarantee for 19 bucks. You get the <laughs> bumper to bumper with the rest of it. So that was a real purposeful. I think to me, it was deciding what we wanted to do. And if I go back to that, that no a-hole rule, if I'm bargain focused and if I'm doing a poor job and I'm trying to just get, you know, trick people into spending $20 and I'll go up selling $80 or whatever that game is at bait and switch, I'm going to be attracting the wrong thing. And so I saw this bumper sticker during all this. I very remember this. And it said, it was something like fish where the fish are and use the bait they want. And I was like, that's just like the perfect thing where my brain is at. Like, where are the customers I want and what do they like to eat? If I'm feeding them worms and they want to eat shrimps, yeah, shrimps cost more money than worms, but I catch more fish. We have a saying around here, speak to the dog and the language of the dog about what matters to the dog, right? It's like that whole Pavlov's. It's that whole Pavlov's dog example. But it's also funny when you talk about the marketing you do attracts a particular type of customer. I was doing a presentation one time to a group of car dealers. So now I'm going to get complaint letters from car dealers. But anyway, I was doing a presentation to a bunch of car dealers. And they said, look, here's our problem, Steve. Every customer comes in saying, where's my deal? And I said, well, you got to stop having every ad being, here's a deal. If every ad is, here's a deal... The customer is going to come in saying, where's my deal? Like I, I, like, I don't know what to tell you, but if all your ads are discount, 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 the person you're going to attract is looking for a discount. So, you know, I, I think a lot of people miss that. So you've done this direct mail, brilliant, lots of repetition, small, controlled. You could bootstrap it. You busted through a million dollars in the first year, which is awesome. It's amazing how often... I hear people have that as their target and they don't, I even have a bunch of stories in the podcast where, you know, that didn't happen, but there's a point where the business really got growing. Where did that happen? And what was it like, you know, managing this business that was on this real tear of growth? What started to happen to the business is we knew 
To a certain degree, marketing was predictable. We could like put a dollar in, push the button, the candy bar would fall out. You know, we knew there's some cadence of market calls, market calls, market calls. Right, because you had built a leverageable market system, like from the standpoint that you knew we do these things, ends up with this result so we can repeat it. We can move it three blocks over and repeat it. And that's a really important point. Yeah. So for our business, probably the biggest challenge is, is adequate leads. Maybe equal or close to it is qualified employees. Right. We want to do great work. We got to hire great guys. We got to train them. We got to attract them. So we started early on to say, we're going to pay differently. Like this is a piecework market, which encourages guys to do a poor job because the more they do, the more they make versus I'm going to pay you a great salary, but hold you accountable for the results. We made, you know, a lot of companies didn't have any benefits and we provided like great benefits out of the gate with like literally, hey, you guys are going to pay five bucks a week towards your health. And that was only so they had some psychological stake in the game. And my thinking all along was, we don't want to be fighting for the the worst potential employees who are looking for jobs. We want to be attracting the best employees who already have great jobs, who are not getting treated the best. And so as soon as we started having that flow of technicians, that we could say, okay, we can buy trucks, we can increase marketing, we can really start to increase the slope of the trajectory because we now have the people to do so. We would do these hiring events. We'd put an ad out and we'd say, you know, call. And they would call up and be like, hey, yeah, we're going to you know, come on in for an interview at six o'clock on Thursday. When they showed up, there'd be a room full of people. I would do a group interview and I had these placards and I'd say, write your name on there and you got to draw something that's important to you and why you work and it can't be money. And so that I, I wanted to be able to use their names. That's why I wanted their names. And I wanted to see who I was just watching behavior, like who's not going to want to draw, who's going to be reserved, who's I need people who are people, people. We fix air conditioners and plumbing, but we're really in the people business. Right. So I need good communicators. And then what I asked them to do is I'm going to call around and say, OK, Stephen, do me a favor. Stand up. Tell me what you drew and why you drew it in front of this room of people. You thought you were coming for a job interview. <laughs> and and I'm like literally putting you on the spot, but it really showed quickly, like you knew the two or three people you're going to go talk to immediately when you were done with that, right. with that meeting. These people were like bought in, they were engaging, they were, and so we're hiring in batches of, you know, not one at a time. We're like, we hired five guys tonight, you know what I mean? So we can go and we already had trucks ready to go and things ready to go. And all those people who came, I would say more than nine out of 10 of them were working someplace else. So we did them at night, we did them on weekends. And so we right. solved the employee problem. And now it was just like, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? Then we added a, the trade of plumbing, same thing. We added plumbing. We had a, a misstart there where I hired plumber. I have to four plumbers. And then I realized, ah, we're not delivering plumbing the way we deliver AC, then that legendary. So I literally fired my four plumbers in one day. I went to my, my ops manager and said, we're going to apologize to customers for a couple of days, but they don't work here anymore. And I fired all four of them at once. But I had a pipeline where I could bring, I brought in two or three guys within the next week. We rebooted and all of a sudden plumbing went to the moon. And we recently did the same thing, adding electrical, like let's, let's get going. Let's learn. So when we added a new service, a new trades, we always did it. We didn't announce it yet. We did it really quietly. We told customers, Hey, we're just getting, you know, we're just offering plumbing. We don't want to do it. If you're going to be mad at us, we're definitely going to make some mistakes, but we're going to take really good care of you. You're one of the, you're like one of our test customers we didn't do it for free, by the way. We got paid, but we are kind of upfront clear that we need you to have a little more patience with us because we're entering a new area. Are you cool with that? And if they weren't, we'd be like, hey, let me recommend a different plumber to you. But if you're cool with that, we're going to deliver something to you that you wouldn't be able to buy in six months from now when we're really up to speed. And so we, we just scaled that way. 
And that's about when we we now had a budget, we had a tolerance for more work. And then direct mail, there's so much it can do, so much it can't do. It's a awesome, but it's not the end all be all. You need to have a full like balanced portfolio of marketing. So our digital assets had to get better. And then we we you know we reached out. We had a, had a conversation with uh, Jeff Sexton. He came and visited us, and we jumped on board and started a radio campaign. And that thing was like the crystallization of everything we had done up to that point because Jeff and Gary and Joe gave us a voice. Tune in next week when you hear Tom take us through the explosive growth that happened at Griffin Services and how this led to him selling the business for a pretty substantial sum. You won't want to miss this. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please share us, subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and leave us a big, fat, juicy five-star rating and review. And if you have any questions about this or any other podcast episode, email to questions at theempirebuilderspodcast.com.